This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Cray plugs its supercomputers into Azure. And NEC unveils new vector machines. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research, and that's Michael Feldman, editor at Top500.org. Michael, This Week in HPC, an interesting story with Cray, a brand that we're used to hearing at the zenith of supercomputing, coupling up with Azure and the brand we think of in terms of supercomputing in cloud or at least one of them, uh, with a new co-location service. You've got to be careful how we describe this. Yeah. It's not really on demand in the cloud, but it is a new way to buy a Cray. Right. It's basically, like you said, it's basically a co-location for Azure, and it's going to take advantage of what Azure has to offer uh, a supercomputer if you were if you're going to put one there. Basically, they they have uh, storage, you know, large amounts of storage you can put in in Azure, plus the cloud services, so you can do cloud bursts and things like that. But basically, you're going to buy the Cray uh, as a customer and then hook it into a Azure data center so these things can talk to each other. So you've got this hybrid model where you've got a dedicated supercomputer. It's not a it's not a virtual thing at all that you're going to you know, log into it as if it was on premise, except it's not going to be on premise. It's going to be hooked into the Azure backbone and have all the advantages of that. Yep. This is going to target enterprises who are already doing a lot of business uh, through Azure or through cloud services and don't currently have a Cray, want to try a Cray, but, you know, they've been outsourcing things to cloud. So now I don't have the data center space or I don't have the expertise or I want to co-locate it with data that's in the cloud. This is now gives me the ability to put that Cray supercomputer, any Cray supercomputer, right? That wasn't limited to any particular product right. into the Microsoft Azure cloud and then manage it as if it's there as one of my resources. Right. I think this will be most attractive to the XC line of supercomputer because basically now in Azure, you, you can buy sort of HPC cluster type infrastructure there um, with or without GPU acceleration, all this stuff. But the XC line is actually, you know, a, a highly integrated supercomputer with its own interconnect technology and, and all the other goodies that go along with that. So it it's not an offering you can get through Azure in any way. Um, and, and now you can you can get it hooked into, like you said, if you're already using Azure services and storage, you, you can now get that as as part of your uh, part of your offering. And and yeah, the bit about the data centers, I think a lot of HPC customers do want to get out of the data center business. I mean, it's it becomes something that becomes more and more problematic as as you have to shift around, you know, resources and you buy bigger systems. And this is a nice way to to do that for people that that don't have the expertise or the or the uh, or the motivation to be managing a, a facility at a at a particular company or organization. So this is kind of nice for those people as well. 
Well, let's face it, Cray sometimes faces a sales channel block, especially in commercial HPC accounts where they might have a scientist or engineer, someone in R&D, who's identifying we would really like to get this Cray. And then by the time the purchase is getting approved by someone in corporate IT, sorry, no, we don't do that. We we acquire things this way. Uh, so you're going to have to find something that, that fits the bill. You, you get the cycles in the cloud or work with one of these other approved vendors. Now this is a way to maybe circumvent that. If someone's saying, here's a requirement and here's another way to buy that, it, it removes a potential hurdle for some potential customers to, uh, to now access a Cray in a new way. Right. And part of this is not just the co-location. Actually, Cray, you get a, a service contract with them as well. They manage, they manage the supercomputer on the Azure uh, in the Azure data center themselves. So the customer is also relieved of doing any sort of maintenance or, or anything like that as well. It's basically you've, you've outsourced the uh, sort of the whole maintenance of, of the machine, not just the power, but the, you know, the, the, the software infrastructure, the provisioning, the, the up upgrades and, and, and hardware maintenance as well. So that relieves another headache for some of these commercial customers who, we're not used to doing that or would rather not have to deal with it at all. Well, and that's an important point. Anytime that you provide a new way to acquire something that's essentially a luxury brand or a preferred brand, uh, a high-end brand, that you maintain that quality control. Uh, it would be similar to if the cafeteria in my office building had one of those signs up that said, we proudly brew Starbucks coffee. That's great. You've given me a new way to acquire a Starbucks, but it's in Starbucks' interest to make sure that I still have a high-quality experience with that coffee, that it doesn't diminish the brand somehow by they're doing it wrong and, and the quality control is off and I don't get a good cup of coffee. This, you know, that's a consumer branding thing, but this is essentially what you've, you've moved into here with this business to business environment. If I've given you a new way to acquire a Cray, Cray would like to make sure that the end user still has that high quality experience that they want the Cray brand to be associated with. Right, exactly. And, and, this, like like we've been saying, this is another way to attract customers who otherwise would have been unable to to do this to to now be able to do this. I mean, they have to pay for it. They have to pay for the contract. They have to pay Microsoft. But yep. it's a way to get to the technology without them having to have the expertise or 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 the ability to learn all this themselves. Now they can sort of outsource all these things. Yeah, well, I'll tell you my favorite thing about this, and you know, people have heard me talk about HPC and cloud and, and how little of it there really is right now. Cray has found a way to capitalize on the momentum around cloud, but they're not actually doing HPC in the cloud in this way. This isn't really a cloud service in an on-demand kind of way. They're, right. they're offering Cray through a known cloud service provider in a way that feels like cloud, even if it isn't actually cloud and they can deliver something that's really a dedicated supercomputer. Yeah, I think right, Cray is doing this very methodically. I think somewhere in the in their in their strategy they they want to do more on-demand supercomputing but this is sort of a stepping stone to that and i think like you said the market is really 
not quite there in, in any sort of big way right now. And, and this is this is a way to ensconce themselves into this uh, into this environment without taking a lot of uh, a lot of risk or 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 making a lot of assumptions about a customer base that that uh, may or may not be there. All right, Michael. Well, also this week in HPC, let's take a look at another interesting story, a company we haven't talked about as much recently with NEC. They're, of course, got vector processor HPC machines, and they've got a, a new offering coming out that offers a different take of how to engage with that vector processor. Right. They, they've just launched their new SX model. They've got 11 gen. I think this is the 11th generation. It's called SX Aurora. Uh, Subasa. This is the their new machine taking over their previous 10th generation machine that they just launched this week. And uh, like you said, it's it's still a vector machine. They're using the same vector uh, technology, but they're doing it a little differently this time around. Instead of having the vector CPU as sort of this monolithic uh, processor in the system, they're doing an offload model where they're going to have an x86 CPU as a host, and then they're going to put their vector uh, processor on a PCI card, and you're going to use that to offload basically the computational uh, heavy part of your application and do it that way in, in the same way that we've seen people do that with x86 and GPUs. So they've sort of switched models and upgraded their vector processor in the process and, and offering a much more powerful machine uh, overall. Yeah, it's an interesting approach, uh, trying to capitalize on the zeal around GPU computing or, or other types of coprocessors. Um, there was a, a look at, at Xeon Phi maybe being used in this way, where there's a lot of talk of, of what you can, uh, essentially using that coprocessor as a vector engine. What can I vectorize when I offload it to the accelerator? And then here's NEC that's still one of the vendors out there with an active vector architecture saying, well, wait a minute, we can, we can do that. We've got a vector processor. If you want to use it as a coprocessor instead of as a host processor, we can do that too. So they, they, they do a pretty tightly coupled uh, host and coprocessor model where now the vector processor is at the end of the PCI bus and say, there, there's your accelerator. And in fact, it's now a really powerful vector processor that you can use as a coprocessor. If that's the model that you want to use, here it is. Right. And, and, and I would speculate the reason they actually changed the architecture is, is they're, they were going to run into the same problem that basically you run to when you, when you make a, a big, vector type uh, CPU or even a GPU to, to have that work at a, at a high levels of performance. You have to kind of slow down the clock and get a lot of parallelization uh, to, to get the teraflops out of it. But to do that, um, you, you run into a point where you're running the scalar part of your codes uh, more slowly than you, than you would want to. So if you can actually split off that part of your code into a, a more general purpose CPU host, then you can sort of optimize the vector part of it and get a lot more performance out of it running uh, slower but more parallelized. So in this case, their their new vector engine that they've added to this thing, which is now on a card, is, is just an eight-core processor, but it delivers uh, nearly two and a half teraflops of performance by itself. Now, that's about five times more than their previous vector processor chip in their previous machine. They're able to to get a lot more uh, headway in that by by doing this sort of split. And I think that's that was one of the main impetuses behind this. 
Yeah, so the upgrades to the vector processor are nice. Now I'll get to a couple of the things that confuse me about this. One is that normally you'd say going over a PCI bus to get to the coprocessor, that's one of the inherent liabilities of doing an accelerator-based model. And, and, you know, people are trying to reduce that latency as much as you can. Here it feels like you're introducing latency into the architecture uh, artificially just because you're trying to capitalize on people wanting to do a coprocessor kind of model. So it's not clear to me what kind of benefit you get out of doing that. The second concern is now what's the software environment that uh, that supports that. NVIDIA has been investing in CUDA for more than a decade, and that's the model that people use for uh, programming. You have to, at some level, tell your program to go call the coprocessor, and that's normally done through uh, libraries. You have certain flags that tell the, the tell your, your executable to go call the coprocessor. Now, NEC is relying on its existing compiler technology, which they advertise as being auto-vectorizing and auto-parallelizing. And auto-vectorizing, auto-parallelizing compiler is, is you know, a beautiful thing if that's really what they have. Uh, you know, if, if they really have something that will do that in that model, then that compiler is really the gold nugget in this entire announcement and could be productized throughout the whole industry. You know, give me a compiler that will automatically vectorize and parallelize. I, I think that's the holy grail. Yeah, to what extent that auto-vectorization actually does this from uh, just raw user code, I, I, I think is, you know, I have to evaluate that on a sort of code-by-code -code basis. But they do have uh, some capability in that area. Certainly, they've had it on previous generation vector technology as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, th I think the overriding point here is the software stack to, to manage this uh, is going to come from NEC. The, the vector CPU or the vector coprocessor in this case is proprietary technology. Um, nobody else is supporting this. They have their own compiler. They have their own uh, compiler runtime system, debugger, the whole bit. I mean, they've even got their own file system, MPI libraries, all the stuff, all the things that are going to be able to have you work with this system uh, as far as the software stack, the system software stack is going to be supplied by NEC. That's sort of a given for a, uh, a custom system like this. Um, going back to your first point about why split the, why split the host and coprocessor thing when, when you've got the, the, the latency and, and bandwidth problems introduced by the PCI link. That's a, that's a decent point. It, it's, it's the reason Intel went for the Xeon Phi model where they had this monolithic uh, CPU that you didn't have to do that anymore. But I think from, I think any C story here is that their vector uh, card that's on the PCI bus isn't quite like a GPU. It's, it's a full-fledged processor that can run its own applications. And what they're sort of implying here is that you don't do a lot of back and forth transfer between the host and and the uh, the coprocessor. You run most of the application on that vector card. You just do the operating system stuff, the MPI calls, the um, uh, some of the other sort of non-floating point stuff on the host side. Most of the the uh, application certainly the application kernel is running there without interference from the CPU, so you don't have the the bandwidth and latency issues of going back and forth constantly that you might have with the GPU. But we should say even for GPUs, they're reducing that uh, with each generation because they have that 
that same issue. They want to minimize bandwidth between the host and the coprocessor. So NEC has a little bit Ma- of a Maximize the bandwidth. They want to Max- minimize the latencies. Right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So NEC has a little bit of, a, of an advantage here, and they've got a full, basically, CPU on that side. They've got a little more leeway on what they can put on the uh, on that PCI card. Yeah, it's an interesting argument, and you know, to me, this looks like a, a valiant attempt by NEC to try to uh, reinvigorate interest in their vector processor. This is something that that we've researched in terms of end user views on processor architectures, and people didn't have a rosy outlook for their faith in vectors over the next com- couple years. But reintroducing it as a vector coprocessor. Uh, might be what it takes to get people to think about that vector model again. Yeah, that that's a possibility. I think this is mainly for their existing customer base who are, who are tied into the this architecture, but they could be going after some new customers. They did make a point of talking about uh, this new platform is, uh, is targeting the machine learning uh, slash AI plus the data analytics space as well. So they might capture some new uh, some new business there, but I think it's essentially for the customer base that that are interested in NEC. They've either got these systems or they're going to get these systems, and now they can sort of broaden their range of application areas into these uh, adjacent areas of HPC and the analytics space and the uh, the AI space. All right, the new NEC SX Aurora Subasa system. Uh, coming to uh, supercomputing, we'll see it at SC seventeen. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah, it should be at SC seventeen. They'll be able to talk about it. If you want to kick the tires on it, uh, go there and talk to them. All right, thanks, Michael. Talk to you later. You've been listening to this week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect three hundred and sixty Research, actionable market intelligence for high performance computing. For more information, visit intersect three hundred and sixty dot com.